Hi everybody, my name is Maria Villablanca and welcome back to Transform Talks. Our guest this week is Calico CEO and founder Kathleen Chan. Kathleen has been at the forefront of making sustainable supply chain software for e-commerce brands and in two short years her company Calico has raised millions of dollars in funding after Kathleen took it upon herself to answer the question that most direct-to-consumer brands were asking about their supply chain management process, there must be a better way. We discuss what it takes to make supply chains sustainable and efficient using digital transformation, and also what it's like to have tennis megastar Serena Williams as an investor. Kathleen has been a serial success in the fashion and e-commerce world, and in this episode, we caught up about her most pivotal success story yet. All this and much more this week on Transform Talks. Hi, Kathleen. Thank you for joining us here on Transform Talks. Thanks for having me, Maria. So, uh, you know, you're doing some exciting stuff, and I want to understand a little bit more about Calico. I want to understand a little bit more about some of the, you know, some of the things that you're working on. When I was doing my research, I was very intrigued about the uh, the work that you're doing around collaboration, which I think is great. The work that you're doing in this, but you know what? I won't. I won't tell our audience about it. Why don't you tell our audience about it? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. So I guess the origin story. I'll, I'll kind of go into my background a little bit. Um, you know, I started my career in tech and and very quickly jumped into the world of building product and, and, and brands. Um, and in doing so, I, I founded two companies that, you know, I in in the fashion space, but had grown them very, very quickly. But I realized, um, you know, very early on that the way and the lifeblood of my business hinged entirely on my supply chain. And the way to mm-hmm. manage that supply chain was quite literally Excel sheets. Um, yeah. It was a very scary realization. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really like, you know, coming from someone who had grown up in tech, I, I was like, oh, there has to be an app for this. I had to like, you know, I, I must have missed something. Um, but surprisingly, no, like the way I, I, the way I brought my products to market was through a combination of spreadsheets, Excel and we, like WhatsApp and WeChat, which was mm-hmm. mind boggling to me. Um, and so after my second brand, I, I basically started asking around of like, you know, am I doing this wrong? Is there something, is it a secret that I'm missing? Uh, you know, I got all the way to a few, you know, Fortune 500 companies that were massive. And, and I started asking the same questions and you know, it realized that the way they also commercialized was through spreadsheets. Like it was, it was the tool of choice despite having, you know, a massive budget and software and everything. And so that, that really confused me. Um, Enough so that, you know, late 2020, I started Calico as a way, as, as a tool or system that I wish I had when I was growing my brands. Um, and, you know, ever since then, we've been, you know, heads down building and providing a solution to help both nimble D2C brands and, and massive retailers just commercialize more effectively and collaborate better with their factories. So that's us in a nutshell. You know, what you said there is something that resonates with me, and I bet you quite a lot of our audience members, even still now in 2022, which is the use of spreadsheets or the over-reliance on Excel and spreadsheets. I'm sure sure it's great. We all love Excel, but there's got to be a better way. Now, one of the things that's pretty fascinating, there's a lot of things fascinating about what you're doing, but tell us a little bit about some of the investors you've attracted, particularly (laughs) one. (laughs) 
<laughs> particularly one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't play favorites, but you know, for us, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that you know we we started late twenty twenty. Uh, dived headfirst into an accelerator and then very quickly came out and raised our first formalized uh, institutional round of funding. And, uh, you know, through quite a grueling process, we we were able to attract um, the eye of a phenomenal human being. Her name is Serena Williams. She had actually started her venture fund. In case you live under a rock, this is Serena Williams, the uber famous, amazing woman tennis player. Yes, yes, that's her. It's the one and the same. Uh, but she's, you know, she, you know, she has a venture fund. She immediately resonated with the product. She herself actually has her own brand that she had, you know, grown from, you know, zero to where it is now, and um, just immediately understood the problem. And that, for me, regardless of uh, her background, who she was, but that to me was was key and, and incredibly important because um, she understood it. You know, she got it. She like she she herself had, had faced the same problems, and so. Um, there was an instant connection. She uh, very quickly came into our round, led it, um, and we, you know, we now have the very f- fortunate opportunity to have her as one of our esteemed investors. So um, that that for us is, I think, a, a lovely checkbox because I don't know. Fun fact here: only only about I think the the number was less than two percent of venture capital funding goes to women. So yeah, that was a. Yeah, that was a, a, a real, like, just a real humbling moment when I realized that. Um, humbling and just interesting in general. Well, you know, it's, it's a great vote of confidence, really, to be a woman founder and get uh, this kind of funding, number one. But to get it from someone with a very big understanding of brand and a very big understanding of their own brands uh, and the challenges that they've had. Now, th- what you do especially, I mean, what's become evident, actually, let me start here. What's become evident during the pandemic is that supply chain models, traditional supply chain models have been exposed. A lot of cracks within the supply chain models, which means resilience, having resilience has been fundamental. So do you think that there are certain, I don't know, benefits of building that resilience with using this kind of technology and innovation? Oh, a hundred percent. I think, I think, you know, up until literally the pandemic, I, I'm going to be very frank here and say that probably supply chains were not the sexiest things. They weren't the things that like people wanted to talk about, let alone back or, or fund, um, simply because they just kind of, you know, it, it, not that it kind of worked, it just wasn't a big issue, right? Everyone had survived thus far. And so they were like, all right, no, not a big issue. And I think once the pandemic hit and no one could get toilet paper, it became an actual problem right and so now it's coming to the surface now people are understanding it and i definitely think resilience was one of the uh, maybe hot buzzwords of, of 2021 uh, but really it does stem from the fact that you know we've we have a trillion like a few trillion dollar industries held together through spreadsheets and band-aid solutions right and that that absolutely is not going to help you scale and grow that's not going to help you for the next pandemic it's not even going to help today when you're trying to run your operations with you know, the limited resources you have, or, you know, you're trying to hit your next stage of growth that whether it's our software or or a level of digitization that you need to kind of put under, like, I think that's absolutely necessary. Um, Because how we were doing it before cannot be how we're doing it moving forward. Well, you know, when you put it that way, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's trillions of dollars of industry sort of cobbled together or 
you know, whole, with a rubber band that is stretching, uh, and and that is Excel spreadsheets and certain analog and manual processes. Do, do you think, with regards to, um, I don't know, the way products are made? Let's let's talk about the the make side of this. Do you think there are any blind spots in innovation and technology that impact the way that these products are made? Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. If you think about it, um, and I, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm going to talk about what I know, which is the spaces that we deliver, we service today, which are in, you know, apparel, jewelry, and footwear. Um, and there's absolutely a ton of blind spots, right? And if you think about how a product goes from concept to a customer today, um, that process is wholly manual, incredibly error prone. And all that data, all those decision-making points sits not in a system or uh, even, you know, out there for your team to use. It sits in the you know, in your brain. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really big issue when it comes to commercialization, because it, what happens if, you know, the team changes as you get a product to market? And these, these, these processes can take anywhere between a couple of months to, you know, I see people plan out a year or two advance, right? Like what happens if someone leaves? What happens if someone accidentally deletes that, like, you know, spreadsheet? I think there's a big issue here. So, um, you know, for, for us, there's, there's a ton of blind spots. And I think there's a ton of ways that, or areas people are missing, even when they talk about digitization, this just sounds like a, you know, oh, we're going to move this to a system, but there's a ton of, you know, additional external variables that I think are, are playing into this that affect how you bring a product to market that maybe um, are secondary or tertiary to this. I, th I think, I think um, one of the things that you mentioned here is the fact that there are a number of factors that are weighing into the way that you digitize your business. And, and I think it's maybe there's an oversimplification of the whole digitization process. It's as though, okay, we're just going to move to something with AI now or uh, develop an intelligent platform. So, but, but how do you do that from a technical perspective, a cultural perspective? How do you migrate, for instance, all the data that is sitting in spreadsheets uh, and Excel or even email? How do, you, how do you do that to get it onto an intelligent platform? I think, you know, that's a really good point. Actually, you brought up exactly why, um, why this is a question that I got early on in, in the product. And, and when we were fundraising too, it was just like, well, why not just build something that was, you know, the cutting edge of AI today, right? Like, why not just do that to start? And I think the response was um, exactly how you positioned it, which is the data, is, the, data is, the data is just not clean. It's just not there yet, right? Um, it, one, you've got a great point of like, how do you move literally generations of information into a, a, mm. um, you know, a system. And that itself is, takes a lot of manpower. And I think it's just a matter of you know, implementation. Everyone hates that word, but that's, that's, that transition is massive. But I think there's a secondary piece of this as well, which is, you know, change management. It's just the behavior. Like, you know, if you've, if you've built and you've manufactured and you've commercialized products, like in a specific way for the last five, 10 years, right? Moving to that will take a significant amount of internal change. And I think um, it's not just about the information and the, and the hard facts. It's really about like, how do you help your team adjust to this new change? Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's two things that we do really well. And I think those are the two pillars that we kind of really think about at Calico, but um, it's not really as simple as just, all right, we had this on Excel. Now it's going to be on a system. Um, that's as much as I would love that to be. There's there's a lot of additional factors, but yeah, to your actual point, it's it's literally generations of information that that today 
I mean, I've seen systems, I've, I've seen implementations take any upwards of, you know, six to 12 to years and, you know, it's not fully implemented properly. Um, but I think, you know, at Calico, our secret sauce that we've really found a way to, to fix that piece. So um, fun, you know, fun thing on our end, but yeah, you're completely right. This is, this is a massive movement that needs to happen internally in your org. But the problem is that we don't have that time. You know, the, the world is moving yeah. at a very fast pace, disruption upon disruption, uh, certain forces and macro forces and, 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 and trends are affecting us, whether it's the way that consumer behavior has changed, uh, the way that supply and demand has been affected by all of the different things that are happening in the world. So we don't have time for the lengthy implementations of back in the day of our dad's ERP system. You know, we, we need to <laughs> implement, some, right? We need, we need to implement something now, but you're right, all that data sits somewhere and it's a question of technology as well as cultural. Uh, you know, you talk about as well, I know you've talked about this because we've had conversations about a data-driven approach in supply chain management. Um, do you think a lot of companies believe they're doing that? How many are actually really taking on a data-driven approach? Oh man, yeah, no, I, that's a really, that's a really good question. So I think, I think there's definitely efforts in the right direction. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, I think, I think folks that are making the moves to get there are, are doing the right things. And, and so I don't truly believe that there's, I haven't, I haven't yet seen a, a really great company that I would mirror off of like, you know, those, those guys are, are doing it correctly. I think everyone's moving a shift and some people are doing it slower than others and faster than others. But, um, no, I think data-driven approaches, it's a beautifully, it's a beautiful marketing term. Uh, and I think where, where it really comes down to is, you know, some of the decisions that you're currently making today, whether it's which supplier you're going to, how much to purchase, you know, how, like, you know, where, like, where to, where to kind of build your next um, line, you know, I think it comes really down to where are you getting the information and how are you making the decisions on that? Is it a gut-based decision? Did you just kind of make this um, you know, did you commercialize based on what you've known historically you yourself, or is there numbers in front of you to kind of make that happen? And I think until that cultural, like if that, that change happens, it's going to be very difficult for someone to pivot over to a true data-driven approach. Um, but this starts internally in the company, this starts in from, you know, heads of production, heads of uh, product all the way down to um, their teams. And I think that's really where you're going to get true data-driven um, approaches to commercialization or, or supply chain management uh, versus kind of the the middle ground that where a lot of companies are doing now. I think it's I think it's a step in the right direction. Is it quick enough? I mean, are we moving fast enough? To, <laughs> you know, I think uh, we talked about the buzzword of yeah, we the the twenty twenty one buzzword of resilience, but we don't know what's coming tomorrow or or the next day. I mean, are we are we moving and transitioning fast enough to deal with what's ahead? I'm, you know what, I'm going to say no, um, but only, but I say this with a caveat of like, we had just, we've just come out of two years of just literal craziness, yeah. right? We, it's for, for anyone in supply chain, it's literally been back to back to back, like, like shutdowns, pandemic, like you just create additional craziness, freight prices going up, like too much, too little inventory, too much inventory, consumer, like consumer demand peaking and dropping. And I think, you know, it, anyone in supply chains, they just feel like they can't catch a break. I personally don't think we're moving fast enough, but I understand that like in, in the last two years, it 
it was impossible to kind of keep her head up, you know, over water, let alone try to implement a change. I think changes happen like shortly after, you know, a, a massive period of change. And I think now is the right time to implement that. Is it fast enough? I mean, it, the the time, in my opinion, you know, it, it was a saying, it's always great to, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 50 years ago. The next best time is today. Um, so I think, I don't necessarily think we're moving fast enough, but I think there's there, if anything, if, if there's a silver lining in the last two years, it's prompted everyone in any product organization to go, okay, well, we need to, we need to move. We need to change. Um, whereas that would probably would not have happened in 2018, 2019. So no, I mean, it's, it's been a great catalyst for change. That's, that's for sure. You know, mm -hmm. I think. I, I, I speak with, as you know, I speak with a lot of supply chain people and some of the most successful ones have been able to implement change by almost creating two teams, having a team deliver on the present and having another team deliver focus on building the future. Uh, have you come across that? Do you think that's a successful way to try something? I know. I love that. Actually, I think that's a very brilliant way to think about this, right? You have one concurrent, like you have two teams running concurrently. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think that's a really great way to attack that if you have the resources available. Um, yeah. I think, well, I think that's, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you have the resources available, hundred percent, right. I think you definitely need to have that team in place yesterday. Not, I mean, if it's not yesterday today, um, but have that team in place, have them entirely focused on implementation. But the other thing around the organization that needs to happen is, an understanding or belief that every single member, whether you're working on that team or not, that like we're shifting into the new era, right? Because it's not just about tech. It's just, it's, there's a fundamental belief that needs to happen in the organization that, you know, this is where we're going to take this to the next level. And that's, that's where implement, that's where the, you know, software tech, whatever cutting edge um, tools available for your supply chains are actually going to succeed. Um, so I think that's step one. The other thing that I would see that if you're you know smaller and maybe you don't have the resources for something concurrently is just top down implement that you know understanding that something needs to change um, and get your team in that right direction because more often than not it's not even about selling the software it's really or, or tech or platform it's really just about that adoption that needs to happen. I mean, we talked about the digital era, right? You know, you mentioned it just now. What does the evolution of supply chain management look like to you? Well, yeah, that's a really great question. So the evolution, um, I think we've we've hit kind of that first, and it, it sounds kind of odd because I think, you know, we, we work in supply chain and we see where it is. It's stuck in a specific era. And I think um, you take a step back and you look at every other industry that's not this and you go, wow, everyone's like moving hyper fast. So, I think for us, um, you know, moving this into a digital era looks like step one, um, understanding that, you know, a change needs to happen to um, actually acting on it, right? There's tons of, there, there's, there's tons of ways you can actually move and, and then get your products or commercialization to, to a point where you don't have to rely entirely on um, spreadsheets. Um, there are smaller systems, there are systems you can piece together, there are, there are just workflows that you can make this a little bit more seamless. But it's really the understanding that you have to move that's going to drive this. Um, but I, I firmly believe, you know, in, in the next 10, 20, 50 years, if, we're do, if we as an industry do this right, um, everything needs, everything's going to be connected, right? There's, there's whether it's, um, whether it's your design, whether it's your, your coding data, pricing data, whether it's your orders, whether it's your 
commerce site, freight forwarder, logistics, um, ERP systems, everything needs to be connected. And I think that's when true data, data like a driven approaches actually succeed. And that's when like, that's when you can probably operate in your maximum capacity. But until if everything's siloed, everything's like in the middle, I think that's where the system kind of falls apart a little bit. Do you know, while you were talking, I was giggling a little bit because I was thinking to myself that you make it sound like a 12-step program for addiction. In other words, <laughs> the first step is to let go of the Excel. The second step is to acknowledge you have an Excel problem, an Excel <laughs> issue. The third step is to try to figure out, and I can just picture, I just had this vision of like supply chain professionals going, no, no, I just need a little bit, one more worksheet, one more worksheet, man. You know, one more worksheet, I guess, I'm sure I can do that. Just give me one more worksheet. I just had this image of some sort of supply chain addict, uh, some, some Excel addict. But you know what? It's kind of true oh. if you think about it. It is that we're, we're going to have like this sort of steps to supply chain, to Excel independence or something like that. Um, but I, but I hear yeah, you. you have a we laugh, program. we laugh, but it's true. We laugh, but it's true, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's so easy, right? I think, I think that's why, I, like, I harp a little uh, on that that behavior because behavior is what drives us, mm. right? Like, there's, it, it's, it's a habit. It's something that you've, you know, that's if you're a professional, you've grown up in this industry. It's probably ingrained in you pretty deeply. But yeah, you're completely right. It does sound like a whole step program. I should probably have some content marketing <laughs> around it. Um, but you're, it, it is. It's like first step is is just like let go of that spreadsheet. You know, like go, is there another go. way that? Maybe, maybe we could get like well, Excel gonna... anonymous or something like that. Excel anonymous. Yeah. Call, like we could set up a group, you know, with some support. Yeah, um, we could. Yeah, we'll <laughs> in every country, and then. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, so, so last question, and this is probably a little bit different, which is, how did you get into supply chain? It's a really good question. I think, I, I so I mean, I, I gave a bit of the origin story earlier on. Um, I mean, fun fact, I actually like grown up a little bit in the space. My dad had a trading company um, early on in my in my childhood. Um, I jumped into tech and just, you know, my first foray properly into it was quite literally starting my own brand. Um, and when you've, when you've kind of started, like I started in the height of the DTC era and I, I basically decided I was going to create a specific product sustainably. And I spent 12 months knocking on factory doors to ask them the most probably odd que like series of questions they've ever really encountered. It was just like, there's this, you know, small woman going to your door asking questions around like, you know, how do you do this? Like, you recycle your wastewater and, you know, just other odd questions. They probably haven't gone from any other brand before. Um, but that was probably my first foray into, you know, the other side the, of the underbelly of, of you know, um, the shiny D2C brand. It was around, um, like, really understanding how products were made and really wanting to get my hands dirty on, like, oh, cool, like, this is how you recycle your wastewater. This is how your materials come in. And this is how wastage is calculated. And this is, you know, like, it was just a, a really great, like, nerding out moment for me. And I'd, I'd always kind of had that, especially when I was growing my brands. I was always that, that founder that would stay up until 2 a.m. to call my suppliers and I'll continually ask questions on, you know, like, how do you make this? Like, is there a way to reduce the price? Um, that was that was me for, for a good portion of my um, the lifetime of my brands. And it, it, you know, I'm the type of person that I realized there was a problem. I was trying to solve a problem, but the problem was not necessarily the brand. The problem was how my products were getting to market. 
um, and how that commercialization product process was was coming about. And so it really was probably a like a some people do MBAs, I guess you know start a brand, try to build a product. That's your that's your MBA into supply chain. Um, but that was that was kind of how I jumped into it. I just like dived headfirst and really didn't look back. Kathleen, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us. And I want to thank you for being on Transform Talks. And hopefully we'll see you soon. And everybody can check you out on LinkedIn and uh, connect with you and find out a little bit more about Calico. All right. Thanks for having me, Maria. It was lovely. And for those of you listening, we'll catch you at the next Transform Talks podcast. Thanks. Thanks.